Welcome to the Programming Leadership Podcast, where we help great coders become skilled leaders and build happy, high-performing software teams. Welcome to the show. I am Marcus, and I'm so excited to have Michael Lopp with me today. Michael, thank you for being on the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Michael is the author of the forthcoming book, at least it's forthcoming when we're recording it, The Art of Leadership, Small Things Done Well. He's also the author of fantastic books such as Managing Humans and a variety of other books, which is in its third edition and is highly recommended and was uh, previously Slack and lots of other companies. So, And of course, if you're not sure who he is, you might know him by his other name, Rand. <laughs> On the internet, he's known as Rands, and he runs a fantastic leadership slack room. So, so Michael, uh, let's start out with this. Why, why is the subtitle of your book, because I'm curious about this, The Art of Leadership seems pretty straightforward, yeah, yeah. but why would you frame it as small things done well? So we were talking beforehand, um, I rewrote the introduction like 11 times, and the book is similar to the, the first book in that I've been writing for a long time and I was I have these chapters that are already written and they're sort of standalone kind of bloggy and they're like they're not they don't form this huge narrative so I discovered that what I was working on after a while was sort of the first word I, I came on was hacks like leadership hacks which is a very you know nerdy word and appeals to me as an engineer and all this sort of stuff but you don't hack leadership that's like hacking exercising you're like, cool, I found this quick way to get fit fast. And it's like, no, it never works that way. <laughs> right? You're like, you do it a thousand times and then you get better at it, right? So I'm like, okay, hacks is the wrong word. So then I found the word habits, which is a good word too, which is like, hey, I want to have these habits. But it still is missing this thing about learning from doing the thing over and over again. It's not that you do it, this habit many, many times. It's that you understand why you do it. And you go, oh my God, there's like, there's like knowledge here. There's wisdom to be discovered. So I settled on this word of practices, which is like, I do these things because I know that they're good to do and that by doing them, I get I get value over time. So leadership practices is the way that I think about it. But really, because the, the, the central thesis, these small things are, hey, being a great leader doesn't mean like standing up at a keynote and delivering this keynote and the world adoring you. It actually is about doing these small things repetitively over time. And the book is like 42 or 43, or depending on how it all plays out, of these small things. And you get to choose the ones that you want to work on. And they're not hard things. Mm. They're like really, really small things. And at first glance, some of them will be like, um, well, I, I do that all the time. It's like, great, skip the chapter, move on, go to the next one, try this one. And it's not just try it. It's like, do it 10 times, do it a hundred times, and then tell me or think about like what you get out of it. So small things done well is choosing these, these, these practices and doing them over and over again, because I think that's actually where you can become a better leader is practicing these things over and over and getting good at them and then learning about why they're, why they're important. Sounds like you, sounds like you think leadership's a skill. <laughs> I really do. I do. It's a skill and it's something that you just always, I've been doing this for a long time. You're always improving on, you're always working on. And me at 49, I'm still like, okay, cool. This year I'm going to focus on X or I'm going to focus on Y. This idea that it's ever like complete, like I got it. I figured it out. I'm the, I am Gandalf and I know all the things. And it's like, no, that's not true either. Cause 
we're just like as a species, we're always evolving. So there's always new things to learn and, and to figure out. Mm. You know, as another person who's 49, and I didn't know that about you until just now, when you were growing up, did you think of yourself as a natural leader? No, I, I didn't. And I wrote about this in the book. I had this very important meeting with, he was the first engineering manager at Netscape. And then he, he came over and helped out at my startup for a little while. And he was a straight talker. He was just a, like, this very, one of my favorite humans on the planet. He was like, he would he'd pull no punches. He'd just be like, this is what's going on. And this is why. And you'd be like, ouch. It sounds like it's bad news, but it was really good news. And we were sitting in this room. It was like a ping pong room in my startup. And I remember this distinctly. He looked up. We were working on some sort of HR thing or something. I don't remember what it was. But he looked up. He's like, hey, well, you do this thing with humans really, really well. You walk into a room and you spend time understanding where everyone's at, what they're feeling, what they want. And you you think that everyone can do that. And they can't. (laughs) There's a lot of people who walk into a meeting and are waiting for the words to show up to understand what's going on. But you're sitting there going like, oh, cool, what's going on here? Empathy, pick your word, whatever it was. He's like, that's a big deal in engineering because we don't tend to value that skill set. And you do it instinctively. And you think because it's easy that everyone does it or that that anyone can do it, and they can't. So it was a moment for me where, and by the way, he said, oh, and you're a good engineer and everything, but like this thing relative to like combined with being a good engineer is a really powerful thing. I don't know if he said leader, but he was just like, you get the people Mm -hmm. thing. And that was the first time I kind of like was like, oh, I have a skill set that is worth focusing on. It wasn't necessarily like I'm going to architect the heck out of the code. We're going to do that, but we're also going to architect the heck out of the team and understand how they work and how they fit together. So your question was natural leader. Was that the question? I, no. I mean, I don't think it's ever, I don't think it's, I mean, but there were some things there that I think I had that were sort of early advantages that helped a lot. If somebody's listening and they aren't that person who walks into the meeting and they they have that empathy or those signals, they just get them. Do you think that's something that can be developed? Is that a skill? Yeah, it is. And it's kind of the point of going back to the book is there's just a lot of practices in there that, again, some of them, you'll read them. You'll read this book and you'll be like, I just do this. And you're like, that's great, cool. I'm glad that that is obvious to you that doing this practice is important. There's other ones that are just going to be like, why would I do this? But I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it for three months. My classic one, I've been harping on this for decades, is sort of just the one-on-one. It's sort of a time to kind of sit down and kind of have non-statusy, unscripted conversations about how it's going. You're going to learn about your team after you get good at it, after you practice it for a bit. You're going to be bonded with the team more and you're going to learn more about sort of how the humans work. And especially for an engineer that maybe is less empathetic, he or she trying that out is going to be like, oh, this is like a fully formed person here with feelings and da, 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 and all this sort of stuff. I mean, I'm making it really sound simple, but it's really complex. But I think those are things you can get better at. And that's the thing is like we're all sort of differently shaped, chaotic, beautiful snowflakes you got to kind of understand where your strengths and your weaknesses are and then go and say, okay, cool, on the weaknesses side, where are some things, what are some practices I can go do to kind of actually improve there? So it's, yes, it's a long way of saying yes to your question. Well, (laughs) since you mentioned weaknesses, I'm curious. I find that one of the things that's hard for managers is to get feedback from their team 
especially on the, mm-hmm. I guess you'd call them weaknesses, things yeah. that, that aren't working. Uh, have you found some yeah. ways or is there any of these 42 uh, small things that <laughs> help people get real feedback from their team about their work? Right. Well, think about, think of your boss. Think of a boss that you didn't really like. Okay, I have and one in mind. This person, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, hmm, how do, who do pick from here? We have one. And think about like uh, some private time, a one-on-one where it's just you and you don't really respect or trust or like or I'm putting words into your mouth, but what value, what's your motivation to tell this person something that maybe you're coming from a good spot and saying like, hey, listen, this thing you did really poorly and it was like demoralizing, whatever. It's like, if you don't like like the person or trust or respect the person, there's no value just in doing risk. it, right? All in, just risk. It's all risk. So, so the question is, let's flip it around to that scenario where I'm the boss you don't like for whatever reason. And let's assume that it's not a lost cause and I haven't just made it a toxic nightmare. What what I do really early on with folks, really before we actually have figured out our relationship, is I at our one-on-ones, which I hold religiously to demonstrate commitment, at the end, 90% of the time, I'm going to ask you, I'm gonna say, Hey Marcus, we've been working together for a month or so, or whatever, or you know, a week or two, whatever. I'm like, do you have any feedback for me? And never in the history of ever has anyone ever given me feedback at that time. They're like, they're like, no, this is great. You're brand new and this is great. And everything's bright and shiny. And I don't really, in my head, I don't really trust you yet. But like, okay. Now, small things done well. So I do that another every week for the next three months. And at some point <laughs> you realize I'm not going to stop asking. So you say something innocuous and small, like, I don't know. Um, you were really nervous at that one of the all hands or something like, Hey, you seem nervous at the all hands. And in my head, in this hypothetical scenario, I'm like, I'm like delighted because what you did there was an act of trust building. And by the way, it's a minor little thing. It's not a big deal. And you don't know that I was totally unprepared. And by the way, something blew up right before the all hands. So of course I was nervous. I wasn't even thinking about the all hands or whatever, but in my head, that's irrelevant. The point is, you said a little bit, it's very small. You said, I trust you enough to say this and to ignore the risk of like telling my boss that he was nervous. And I go, great. And I go, thank you for that. And I say, listen, by the way, yes, I was nervous. I didn't prepare. By the way, beforehand, this thing blew up and I was thinking about that. And like, you're like, great, thanks. And it's almost irrelevant what you said, because the thing I'm excited about is you are going to go do it again. I'm going to keep asking. And the next time you're going to be like, hey, I didn't understand that message at all. Did you like, I didn't really understand what your strategy was there. And I'm like, thank you. You're right. I just yellowed it. And it was just me typing. I didn't even grammar, didn't even put it through Grammarly or whatever. So it's these sorts of, um, it's, it's, it's getting those practices where people can actually figure out for, you can de-risk things and build relationships and build trust and respect. So I've been rambling so long. I haven't actually answered your question yet. Did I answer your question? (laughs) I think you did. I think you did because uh, I actually really encourage this repetitive asking to show you really want it. And I've usually said like, it's probably going to take like 10 or 15 times before somebody has the idea like, I guess Marcus kind of wants to know. It's not just a one and done. It's not an annual event where I now have to ask you what you think of my performance. Um, Yeah. 
Absolutely. But I love the way you responded. You, you, you threw in a thank you. You were delighted. Yeah. Um, you weren't defensive. That's a great way to shut people down. If you never want feedback again, make an excuse and yeah. then get kind of irritated by it. Yeah. And the other, the other thing I'd add to that is if it's something which is actionable, even if it's like your hair is on your neck and you're feeling defensive, um, number one, you got to swallow that and be like, thank you. That was great. Here's, here's what I think. Here, Two things. Number one is I usually, if I really am trying to understand it, I repeat it back. Because yeah. sometimes you tell me something and I'm like, because I'm getting mad in my head, not yeah. at you, in my head. I'm like, I'm, I, I sometimes will hear what I want to hear versus what you're telling me. And very often when I, in that state, I'll, I'll be like, hey, what I hear you saying is this. And you're like, no, that's not what I'm saying. And it's great because suddenly you actually give it to me right. And now we're not worried about me, my defensiveness or my head. We're kind of, understanding and triaging it. But then the other piece is when I find what I need to change or how I need to follow up, the act of following up and changing it, maybe not immediately, but it just saying like, listen, by the way, you keep on telling me X, I'm going to do Y. I'm, I'm not great at Y. And doing that, and even when I fail at Y, saying like, hey, I know another Y fail, but I'm still working on this. That's the thing. That's like, that's like the juice there of like a relationship sort of getting going is like that that a trust and respect piece is really important. That is, I think, the foundation of all of this leadership stuff, right? Because uh, you you can't, um, you know what you're trying to build is that, I guess followership is a funny word, but you, you want people to yeah. say, you know, I trust you enough that I will follow where you lead. And then at times you will follow where yeah. they lead. Yeah. And, you know, I had this, I had this relationship with an employee, I don't know, a couple of, doesn't matter who it was. They were done. They were done at the company. And by the way, they told me six months before wow. they left. They said, listen, I'm done. And I was like, and I'm like, I'm not leaving right now. I'm just telling you because we are high bandwidth and that's great. And let me tell you, having had people like walk in on Monday morning and just quit to on me, like this was this was a I was very sad. And yes, I worked to keep the person and eventually did not because they were they were done. But like that's the dream. Right. That's the, by the way, still talk to this person all the time because we had, we connected professionally in such a way that it wasn't scary to say I was done with this job. It wasn't scary to say I need to leave. And it was, it was tie band. By the way, we all got to plan everything. Easy transition, by the way. <laughs> Six months, right? As opposed to that person who walked in on Monday and said, I quit. I'm done on Friday. And by the way, I screwed up big time on this one. But that's the thing is like you get to the state. It's not about people are always like, hey, you got to retain people. Like, yeah, I want I want you to stay as long as you can. I want to be productive and and get things done with you. But like even the leaving thing can be just fine when it's a high trust environment. Oh, you know, I, I think it's so interesting you say that because I feel like one of the things that happens is when you join a company, there's kind of this idea of like, well, now you're going to be here forever. And we're never going to talk about you possibly yeah. leaving because that's just not something we do. That might actually mean you'll leave yeah. if we talk about it. And so that right. is like a, yeah. a really taboo topic. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird, isn't it? It's, no, it's not weird. It's just, it's just short-minded, right? It's like, it's, I mean, yes, I want you to stay there as long as you can. And I want to stay there as long as I can. But like, we talked about this before we started recording it's like you know sometimes i get bored or sometimes it's like i'm just i need to i need to a change of scenery right and maybe that's maybe that's something i can work with my boss on to like get to a different part of the company or something like that 
but I think it's far healthier when you're just people are focused on the things that are growing them, that are keeping them satisfied, that they're feeling accomplished, that they're building something, and that just changes over time. We we are we are creatures with some of us like me have a very short attention span. So I'm curious, as you as a manager, let's say you have an employee that takes that risk that says. Uh, uh, Lop, when, and I'll just use Lop because that's how you referred to yourself a minute ago. You know, when you say this, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Let's say somebody were to be that direct, yeah. right? And and then say like, ah, you know, so I wish you wouldn't say that anymore. I wish you wouldn't approach me that way. Does that yeah. mean you as yeah. the manager are obligated to change? Um, well, there's, there, that we're jumping to the, there's an actually a problem because we first need to triage the thing. Like, what is the, what is the actual issue here? And that's before we even get to what the action is, it's like, are we agreeing that there's a problem? So if we agree that there's a problem on this thing, I believe that I'm obligated to make an affordance to do that. But I think what's hidden in your question is sometimes it's like, this person is just mad about this thing that's a misunderstanding or is uh, whatever it is, right? So we have to, there's this fear-based manager thing. And I think it's what we're talking about with sort of the taboo topic of someone leaving of like, oh my God, this person said this thing and they're an employee and they're on Slack and they can, they can say whatever they want to large groups of people and I'm going to be in trouble and blah, blah, blah. Like that's just a fear-based mentality, which is a very real thing. But that's, that's just operating from that fear place or like saying, I just have to handle everything. You do. You do have to have the conversation, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a change. You have to want to figure out what's the core issue here. Like, what is it? Were you having a bad day? Was I having a bad day? Is it a word that is really important to you that I don't even understand what that importance is? So let's have that discussion, whatever it is, right? So that for conversation is as important as figuring out whatever the contract is to act. Yeah, I, and I think that I do talk to a lot of managers who say, well, my commitment is whenever somebody asks me to change, I do my very best to change. And I think, boy, you are like just setting yourself up to be in a hard spot. If you've yeah. got 20 employees and each one wants a different change every month, you can't do that. Yeah. And it's, and it's the thing about, I say this because my coach told me this a long time ago, feedback is a gift. And what he's telling me with that is that, and I just realized this right this second, is what do you do with a present? A gift. You say, oh, cool. Gifts don't come like there. They come unpacking. You unpack it and you go, cool. What's inside here? And you go, oh my God. It's my favorite comic book or whatever it is, right? But they're, <laughs> I'm making, I'm kind of belaring this point, but that active un unpacking it and going like, ooh, what's here? Right. Is actually what we're talking about here, which is sort of like, cool, you just, number one, let's be super happy that you told me, and we said at the beginning, like, who hey, doesn't like the gift? I'm like, great. Even if you're completely wrong, <laughs> yeah. You chose to do it and brought it up with me is 90% of the joy here, right? Mm -hmm. Not maybe not 90%, but that's that's number one. But number two is like, cool, let's go and see what's going on here. And I've had that conversation before. I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm like, wow, I didn't, number one, my intent was obviously not to rub you the wrong way. Number two is I did not know that this perspective existed. And you were sharing that with me and that's great. Is it prevalent or is it just you? Is it the whole company? Is it this sort of thing? Who knows? But that's sort of the discussion to have. And that's that's just that's when the, that's when relationships are formed. We're like sitting here figuring each other out and yeah. sharing things. And by the way, my number one favorite person at Slack, he and I argued sixty percent of the time. And if you watched us, if you walked in on us, you'd go like, "These two humans do not like each other." 
They do not like each other. We love each other. He is my brother. But because we trust each other so much, we're like getting up and we're like, I'm like, this is, this, this, you are literally being a stubborn, blah, 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 whatever it is. He's like, no, I'm not. And I know you're, you're angry now. And I understand that. And when we're done, I'm like, hey, cool. Thanks, Brandon. That was awesome. I learned yeah. so much. He's like, that was great. Like, it's not easier than it is. But like, that's what you want to be with, with the people. It's not, it's not personal. It's like, we're working here as professionals, getting this thing done. And we're humans with emotions who are flawed and full of errors. And we, you know, we get it, we get to figure each other out. That's that's a great job. I love that job. It reminds me, I had a business part. I had two business partners and one was just like that. People said, you guys are like an old married couple. (laughs) You're always just like bickering and you have all these in jokes, but you, you are openly disagreeing in really big ways. My other business partner and I didn't have that. Everything uh, was impression management. It all looked great and gold on the outside, and we actually couldn't stand each other at all. And <laughs> when the partnership split, we, him and I, were just like, great, shake hands, hope we never meet again. And right. the other person is a very close friend. After yeah. many years, we're still friends. Yeah, but there's there's a lesson even inside of that, which is in both cases, you had to kind of figure out how to make it work. And I would That's prefer right. the latter one all the time, but the former one does happen. And I'm like, and I have people I depend on where I'm like, when this is done, we are never going to talk again because we are just not connected in whatever way. And there's no judgment there. It's just impedance. It's frequency, whatever it is, right? There's no joy in this relationship. No it's joy. all work. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to something you've said that was, you just, you have the poet's voice in my head and like you said this thing about like, it's messy and it's, and it's about emotion. It's about connecting, but you had, you threw in this little line. It's not personal, but it, it is about people. Like I'm trying to figure out like, okay, it's not personal. It's professional, but it's absolutely about people really connecting. Yeah. What I mean by that, if this is what you're asking is this is work. We have work to do. And we as humans need to work together. And since someone is coming in guns blazing on this issue, whatever it is, that's going to piss me off. And I'm going to have that emotional reaction to it. When I say it's not personal, it's because it's not, it's not directed at me. It's not directed at me, Michael Opt, the human. It's directed at me, Michael Opt, the VP of the company. And in its work and it's professional. And they're not mad at me. And they, mm. yes, it looks like they are. By the way, I, it feels like they are. They really, really aren't. They're really, they're mad because we are failing the customer by not doing this thing. And they're mad about that. Number one, humans have emotions that's there. And number two is my job as a leader is, is sometimes just to absorb that, that rage. Mm-hmm. And by the way, do not high, recommend it over time. It's work to like take that and to be like, you know, cool. I hear you. I would never say it like that because I almost make a matter. But like to like take that, absorb it, and they really, really hear it. But it's when I say it's not personal. It's just I. You've been here before. You know when someone's coming, guns blazes. Even before they say something, you, you can, can tell. Way, you're looking at you. I know when bad feedback's coming. I can walk in the room and be like, "Oh, this is going to be bad." Yeah. Right. Hair in my neck is there, and in my head. It's not personal. I'm just going into this little bubble and it's not to not hear it. It's just, and it's, it, it is to protect myself, but it's like, here it comes. I'm just going to hear this and I'm going to, and I, my, my lizard brain is going to want to like go and like pick a fight and be like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Nope. I'm just taking it. I'm just going to hear it. And when they're something, when they're done with whatever their rant and rage and blah, 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 blah I'm like, 
I'm going to say what we said at the beginning of this. I'm like, I'm like, thanks. That was, that was, that was rough. <laughs> Is this what you meant? Is this what I, I heard this, this, and this. And then we get into the less of the transference of energy and more into the sort of the, into the like understanding, but the unpacking of the gift, the unpacking of the gift. Ooh, I got to write that chapter. The book's not done yet. <laughs> yeah, there's still time. <laughs> it's not totally writing it down right now. Sorry. Unpacking. Again. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but I, I I literally have like three more chapters that have to be edited. Anyway, so that that's there. There's a yeah. That's I feel like, uh, and I just want to make sure, like, I just want to come in and make sure I'm understanding it because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And the thing it reminds me of is Marcus, the person, Marcus, the role of manager, and Marcus, the representative of the company, as well as, yeah. and I hate, I know this is a little weird, but I also view it as the boss in front of you that reminds you of all the bad bosses you had in the past. And so there's oh, yeah. all this history because I'm almost never somebody's yeah. very first boss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that's what I totally agree with that 100%. And people, lots of people have had really bad bosses and people had a template in their head of like, oh, this is what they're like. And I had to get used to that, like coming into a place where the prior human was just not good. And they were like, oh, he's just going to be the same way. And I'm like, I'm literally a totally different genetically. <laughs> I'm totally different. That's, that's what they're used to is this, this archetype. And that's, Again, back to small things done well, you're not going to, I'm not going to sit down and say like, okay, new sheriff in town. I'm totally different and blah, blah, blah. Everyone's going to be like, Ooh, yeah, it's great. It's irrelevant. It's not, I mean, it's important to kind of lay a framework and whatnot. What they're going to notice is the 72 times in a row that I always do this thing. And they're like, well, that's who Lop is. Cause I saw it 72 times and maybe some of it's 50, some of it's 20, some of it's a never will believe it, whatever. But it's that it's, it's the line of like, you know, actually maybe I wrote this. I don't know. Like leadership is an outfit that you wear, that you, ch you choose to wear that for others to see it's, you know, it's be the leader that be the exemplar that you want to be, whatever the right poet way of describing it is. So that's the thing, but it's not one thing you got to be doing it. 72 times in a row, always, always, always. <laughs> and there's no guarantee. Some people, the 72 times in a row, you could do it for the whole time you're there so consistently and religiously. And some people yeah. will say, well, Marcus is my manager, but I don't think of him as my leader. Like I'm choosing yeah. because it is a yeah. choice, right? They yeah. are, it's a bi-directional relationship and some people aren't going to do it. And where you are in the org chart, and last time I was a VP, everyone has their own narrative about who the VP is. And some of those folks have seen in our hypothetical 72 examples of LOP acting this way. Some have only seen it twice right? because I don't have time with me. And some of them have seen it all 72 times and some of them never seen it. And they're just working with that template of like, well, all VPs are political jerks. And that's how I view this because that's all I've ever seen, Right. You got to remember everyone's got their own little narrative about you, which is, it's, that's, that's a hard part of the gig, especially when it comes to communicating the whole organism, because you and I can have a one-on-one -on -one and I could be high bandwidth demonstrating 72 times. This is the way, but then there's a, a couple thousand folks, right. Who are going to see me twice a year. How am I going to affect them? How am I going to lead them? It's, it's, it's a, it's a tricky job. That's why I'm taking a little break. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm curious, like, cause uh, managers, 
who come into a new organization, oftentimes I have the perception that their boss will say, well, let me give you the rundown of the team. We got a grumpy engineer. We got this guy who's been here forever. We got this person who's really touchy about those things. You've got this person. And you immediately start to say, oh, well, uh, at least I kind of know the roster. But you don't, in my opinion. You you see someone else's 10-second stereotype and learning to see people clearly and not seeing your past employees, I think, can be a challenge. Yeah, well, let's even describe a worse version of that very eloquent way you're describing it, which is I go say, what, what, what kind of cards have I been dealt here? And my boss says, ace, heart, whatever. They say their things. And then I go, oh, well, thank you for that information. And then let's just say one of those assessments is negative, the grumpy engineer. Oh. Yes. And then that grumpy engineer, after I met with him a couple of times and I gather his data, sees that now I've heard the boss's opinion that he or she is a grumpy engineer, and I start treating him that Absolutely. way. Now, what has happened in that scenario? They now know, because humans are smart, that I have been tainted by this other person's thing, and I'm acting on that. And what does that do for that person? They go, okay, cool. I'm still stuck with this title of grumpy engineer, and they're just gonna start to just behave in that way. So those first 90 days are incredibly formative. They're, they're really, really, especially with your direct reports, they're, they're really looking at you to see what is the narrative you are telling yourself and how are you going to treat me? And is it what everyone else believes or what, what is truly true? And who knows what is the actual truth? We don't know. But that's the thing that is, it's really tricky, especially during those those first 90 days, it's really, those initial conditions can really set you up. And it's, it's fixable in any scenario, but you can really, really damage folks by coming in guns blazing and being like, cool, well, you're 27B, so I'm going to give you the 27B treatment. And they're like, oh, great. Yeah, here's another person who thinks I'm 27B. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think you're right. In fact, I'm sure that many people have walked in and said, well, this person's a poor performer. You know, we, we haven't done it, you know, there's no, nothing HR wise we've done, but just know that they're, they're going to be your trouble spot, right? Like, holy cow, how do you, now here's the other thing I've seen Lop is that, uh, by the way, it's weird. Can I call you Lop or would you rather I call you Michael? (laughs) It's weird. Everyone Slack calls me Lop and everyone has this question. And I, and I've thought about this a lot. The The issue that you're having with it, putting words in your mouth is that a nickname is more familiar than the other name. So nickname feels like we hang out and have beers and you say, Hey, what kind of beer do you like Lop? As a, you know what I'm saying? Know what you're saying. It feels like, and we're not there yet huh. is how it feels to me. But that's, that's your thing. I, I, I that's my name is literally Lop. I understand it. That's what I'm saying. But it's, um, I like it because it's really easy because there's many of the Michaels out there. <laughs> I wanted to ask, uh, and it's actually something I usually do at the beginning. So if you're listening to the show, forgive us for this little bit. But one of the things I think is important, and this applies to our conversation too, is what do people want to be called? And asking every person around you, like, so I'll just ask you, Michael, would you rather me call you Michael or Lop during this interview? A lot is what I respond. Great. And we have, for the record, we've not had beers yet. I don't know what kind of beer you drink yet. That may change. But here was my point. When your manager says, if you're a new manager and your director, you come in and they say, hey, you've got, you've got this person. They're not a great performer. I think it's actually risky then for you to, and this is weird. I think it's a risk you have to take. But let's say you start interacting with them and have really positive interactions. When you go back to your boss and say, I found this person to be great to work with, 
I think yeah. that your manager sometimes might look at you a little sideways. Like, you're disagreeing with my, I know this person, and yet you clearly just haven't interacted with them enough. Yeah, there's there's two responses I have to that. Number one is whatever hand, whatever cards I get dealt, I, I trust my opinion more than most because um, it's me seeing it with my eyeballs and my experience. And let's just say that it is a confirmed low performer. My job as a leader, here's the thing. This is one of my favorite lines. Managers tell you where you are. Leaders tell you where you're going. Mm. So my managers tell me where I am and where I am with these people. I'm like, cool. That is your observation. That is your litmus test of where we are right now. My job is to tell you where we're going and to figure out the person, this low performer, alleged low performer, and to make a true assessment. And whether it's whether it's fixable, whether it's they're just kind of a low performer and that's forever, or whether there's some other story there, my job, my number, my job is this is my job with my entire team is to grow them, to invest in them, and get them there. If they don't want to do that, if they're happy with their coasting low performerness, they're not going to be on my team anymore. That's and by the way, they will know that. There's going to be no surprise in this. We'll have this conversation and. Whatever my assessment is of that situation, when I go and tell my boss, she's great. He's not great. Da da da. It's going to be based on these things. Right. This is what I did. I asked for X, Y, and Z, and I got X, Y, Z, and one, two, and three. This is a high performer. And yes, this is their first working with me, so maybe they're overextending themselves. But by my bar, that's high performing. Do you agree? Do you agree mm-hmm. with that assessment? And if they're if they're like. We have a conversation there. It's not only about the person here. It's about me and my boss calibrating on what performance actually means. Like, this is actually, this is awesome, right? We can actually have that conversation. And you see what I'm doing here. This is one-on-one thing that I can't stop talking about. I'm now building rapport with this person about figuring out how we're calibrated and how we argue and disagree or agree. So it's uh, back to the spear thing. It's like, oh my God, I'm inheriting a low performer. I don't see that. I don't, number one, I don't believe that until I see it with myself. But number two is like literally my job as a leader is to take us from here to there, everybody. And like with whatever hand I've been dealt to figure that out. And sometimes it won't work out and I have to let them go or, but very often my enthusiasm, my ability to lead and to take us to this next thing. Many times I've heard that before. It's like, Hey, this person's kind of coasting. It's because no one's invested in them. It's because they believe the system is no longer believes in them. I'm going to bring them along. Let's get there. And maybe it's never A plus. Maybe it's just a B. Bs are great. That's above average. (laughs) You hit on one of my favorite lines from Kent Beck's old book, Extreme Programming Explained, the old white book. And he says, there is no substitute for enthusiasm. Oh, no. It's just, I, this is one of the things I really struggle with, with new directors. So managers of managers. One of my, one of my merit badges for the director level is what you just said, which is someone coming up to me and saying, Hey, well, this is a bad situation and da, 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 da. And this is, this is going sideways. I'm like, who other than you, director Marcus is going to fix that. You're waiting for me to say right. go like, <laughs> like literally not my, my job is to, to clear the way so that you can go. And like, you don't even have to tell me. I will hear about it later that you're charging up that hill. And I'll be like, we're getting things out of his way because this is what he goes and does. 
And that's that's not just enthusiasm, that's leadership, right? Like, oh, cool, I'm going to go fix this thing. And I'm not going to ask permission. I'm not going to, like, clear it with the council or anything. And sometimes it's misinformed and sometimes it needs tweaking. And my job as a VP is kind of like, hey, love the enthusiasm. Can we go, like, seven degrees this right. way? Because <laughs> right now you're going to go right off that cliff and I'm going to help you just get up that hill. So Yeah, I was talking yeah. to a friend of mine that's a, a CTO and he said – I've always dreamed to have a manager join my company and ask me, what are the cultural changes you are trying to make right now? And he said, because at my level, people think I change culture. He says, no, line managers. The people below me are responsible for actually getting this stuff yeah. done. Yeah, it's my, my version of that statement is that I think the, from a culture perspective or from a getting things done perspective, that director level, the sort of manager of managers, because frontline managers are kind of focused on their team and getting that stuff done. Directors, hard job, are focused on their team, but they're also focused horizontally as well. So they have actually the most ability to affect change across the company because they're talking to Julia and to Marcel and those folks, and they're doing that thing and they're behaving as leaders and, and demonstrating sort of like the culture or the process or whatever it is that we're trying to fix there. So that level is to me is sort of where I spent a lot of time investing. So you mentioned this idea of the, the peers at the director level. And I know one of the concepts that I really like is this idea of first teams in that the people who are your peers become your allies, become your trusted confidants. How can managers right. at the director level or above encourage and build those first teams below them so they have effective management teams? Yeah, it's, it, I, I've answered this question before for someone else, and I use this whole war metaphor, because which is bad, because <laughs> it's a war. But there's something useful there, which is you, you, if you, I want a team to work together, they have to go do a battle. They have to go do something together. And what I'll do when I'm looking sort of at the lay of the land and going, oh, got this balkanization problem here. I need these three folks to be there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out something that they're going to go do, and I'm going to say, hey, you, here's this impossible task. And I need it by March. <laughs> and here's why. <laughs> here's why. And please ask questions. But the three of you are essential to do that. And by the way, it's not easy. If it was easy, it would just be happening. It's hard. It's complicated. It's going to take a lot of review. It's going to, there's going to be blood, sweat, and tears. But that's the thing is, like, people accomplishing a thing together, like, those are the, that's where all the stories come from. Mm-hmm. The good ones and the bad ones. We, like, we were up till four in the morning the night before because the deck, Lop just told us the deck was garbage. And we, yes, we should have showed it to him earlier, blah, 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 whatever it was. And we got it right. And the next day, 24 hours later, something that was an F became this really good deck. Now, everyone's talking about it. And they're telling stories about it. And by the way, it was misery there. They were late on it. They, they had to stay up that night, which is bad leadership, too. But that's the thing to actually get the teams together is they have to have that shared purpose. They have to accomplish a thing. And, and sometimes that accomplishment can be a total failure. Like we that didn't work, but that still is a thing. We were together in this thing and this journey and failure doesn't sound like fun, but it's still a shared experience where we got to like, we got to, we got work to do. We got to get it done. We got to do this together and there's no way we can do it alone. So that's what I do is try to figure out sort of what are the configurations of the humans to kind of encourage that bonding. And once it's there, like a good one-on-one, which is apparently our theme. I love it. And once it's there, it's just always there. Like you see that person a month later and you're like, wow, <laughs> did that suck? Yeah. Did that suck? And you're, you're bonded in this way. And suddenly you're like, oh, by the way, I saw this thing 
in this other meeting that you weren't in, this thing has happened. And they go, oh my God, that's a disaster. And I would have never known that unless you told me. And that was just you knowing that this person cared about this thing. And you were just randomly sharing a little serendipity. That's the thing. That's, a, that's how you actually connect teams together. I guess and now I'm sitting here thinking like, I suppose this is why there are reunions of high school and college. There are, you know, people who serve together in the war, get together. The whole VFW bar in my town is clearly about people with shared experiences. Oh, and retelling the story because that was important to us that we, we took that hill, right? Yeah. It's fun. And it's, and it's, it's why culture is really, really hard because so many of those early stories from the first 10, 20, 200 people Everyone's still telling those stories. I was just at Apple a little while ago, and I was there many years ago, and I was talking with folks, and I was there for a couple hours. They're they're telling some of the same stories. Are they <laughs> still really? Yeah, later, I'm like, wow. And it's but it's not a bad thing. It's this is how they've encapsulated the culture, and this is how they remind ourselves about the rules and the things that are important for that place. That's that's far that's far more powerful than those seven values on the wall. Right. That's actually how people remind themselves. They like, hey, we don't I'm making this one up, but like we don't ship crap. And let me tell you why, because we did this thing, this customer left. We lost two million dollars in three in three weeks. Mm-hmm. We don't ship crap, right? That's more important than quality matters. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, um, I worked at this company, manufacturing company, the biggest manufacturing company of windows and doors in the world, which is incredibly dull compared to Apple. <laughs> but the owner was a multi-billionaire. He had founded the company. And one of the core values was we're the low cost producer. We're going to keep things low cost on our end. Yep. And he drove up every day in his 1972 Jeep <laughs> Cherokee. And he was a billionaire. And just seeing him drive in there, like you didn't have to see it very often to be reminded. But after he retired and then passed away, that was a story that continued down the line. It was like, remember when Dick Went used to drive up and he had holes in his pants and his shoes? Like, because he just only, and he drove that old car, right? And his secretary had to say, Dick, it's time to buy new shoes. You remember that kind of ethos? And people would just smile and they'd say, yeah, whenever we traveled together, he'd make you eat at McDonald's. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that because Dick lived that value. And that was one of those myths that got passed around. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's how culture is actually transferred around. And it's, it shows, they show up at the weirdest time. Usually when things are going sideways, someone will remind you of that story. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Lop, I've just so much enjoyed our chat today. Is there uh, where can people find you? and engage with your work online and buy your fantastic book. Art of Leadership, Small Things Done Well is on Amazon. It's currently number one on the business management uh, new releases. That Who knows what's going to be going on when this actually gets published. That book's coming out. The uh, Rands and Repose, Rands, R-A-N-D-S, and Repose is the blog I write there. I do a podcast too called The Important Thing. But I think most importantly for this audience, as you already mentioned at the beginning, we have a Reigns Leadership Slack community. It's about 12,000 folks. And um, the requirement to get in is you must be able to work email and find out how to get invited. It's super easy. I will send, But that is um, literally one of the things I'm most proud of. And I have very little to do with it. Just a lot of uh, very focused, thoughtful, diverse set of leaders helping each other out. So you should all join that Slack community. It will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. I'm in there as well. And we'll put a link to all of those fantastic resources in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. 
like Happy Mary or whatever is going on <laughs> with this. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Programming Leadership. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.programmingleadership.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.